1: Our teaching pastor is Dudley Rutherford, and we join him right now with today's message.
2: In your notes, I want you to write this down. Everybody say context. The guy that wrote this is a guy named Paul, and he's in a Roman prison. He was in prison. He's now under house arrest, but he's chained to a Roman guard, the guy that wrote this. And he's writing this letter to a group of people. Write this down in a church that's 800 miles away. And one of the reasons that he's writing is because he loves them. And when you love someone, you tell them the truth about life in God. He doesn't know how many more opportunities he's going to have to communicate, so what he tells this church are some very, very important things. Now, knowing that we have much to learn in this short journey called life, let's look at four things that Paul wrote that were critical for them to remember. Number one, write this down. He says, let nothing divide you. If if you've ever been encouraged just because you're united with Christ, if you have any comfort from His love, if you've ever been blessed by the love of God, if you have any fellowship with His Spirit, if you've got any any tenderness in you, if you have any compassion in you, then, verse 2, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in what? Purpose. Now, the early church began under Rome's domination of the world. And so the early church was always under intense, fierce pressure from a pagan society. There was always the variety of social and political conflicts the church was going through. No wonder Paul begins chapter 2 by telling the early church, Hey, if you want to make me happy... You need to be united, like-minded, having the same love, same spirit, same purpose. The question is why. Why is unity so important in a church primarily if we as the church can't get along with each other? We become a laughingstock to the world that we're trying to reach. My fear, Paul's fear, and Jesus' fear is that the division that is in the country will somehow creep into the church we know the bible says in revelation 7 verse 9 that when we get to heaven there's going to be a great multitude from every nation from every tribe from every people and from every language so the church here on earth if i take a photograph of the church it should be a picture for people of what heaven is going to look like It's one of the reasons why I like this church. Because we are a racially diverse church. We are a generational diverse church. And when someone walks in here and they see all of you, they're getting a little taste of what heaven's going to be like. So just take a quick look on who's sitting on your robe. And when you look over and you see that Asian person, And you see that African-American and that Latino guy and that, that Middle Eastern person and of course that Filipino person and that Caucasian sitting there, you need to know that that's exactly what heaven's going to be like. And why is this so important? Well, here are the words of Jesus. In John 17, Jesus is praying to his Father, to God. And he prays for unity for the church. And he says these words in John 17, verse 23, his prayer, God, may they, he's talking about you, may they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that you're the one who sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. There is something about our ability to stay united when everyone else is divided that gives credibility and validity that Jesus Christ is real because who else could unite people like you? It must be Jesus Christ. And that's our testimony before the world that is so divided. Number two, write this down. He says that you and I should value all people, not just your people. Value all people's lives, not just your life. The Bible says in verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others. As better than yourself if you have a bible you should circle that put a star an asterisk highlight it verse 4 says each of you should look not only to your own interest that's kind of normal but also look to the interest of others it was martin luther king jr who said that life's most persistent and urgent question is this question What are you doing for others? You only have so many days left on this earth. Your days are limited. That's a fact, Jack. (laughs) And you can choose, do you wanna spend your remaining days trying to impress people about how great you are, or do you wanna spend the rest of your days on this earth leaving a lasting legacy Of serving and caring for other people. You see, when you die, people are going to say one or two things at your funeral. At your funeral. Don't think about someone at your funeral. They're either going to say, that guy, that girl was the most selfish, self-centered person I have ever met in my life. Or they're going to say, that guy, that girl spent their entire life on this earth doing nothing but serving people And trying to help those that were less fortunate. This went through my mind this week as I was working on this. Anyone who gets to heaven, if you get there. Everyone in heaven, no one in heaven ever says, man, I should have spent more time on earth talking about myself. Everyone in heaven is going to get up there and go, "Oh, oh, oh, oh. I should have spent more time on that earth talking about Jesus and pointing people to Jesus. And you know what went through my little brain? People in hell are going to say the exact same thing. People in hell are going to go, I shouldn't have spent my life on that earth just for myself. They're going to think I should have spent my life, whatever time I had, I should have spent on that earth talking about Jesus, the only one who can save people from a place like this. I'm gonna show you that verse again. I just want you to leave it on the screen. Philippians two, three, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And 1 Corinthians ten twenty-four, seek the good of others. Those two verses, now the Bible's a big book, those two verses, if the whole world just lived by those two verses, we would heal the racial divide in this country overnight. You remember the story of Jesus when he washed the disciples' feet? You remember that story? Here's what the Bible says in John 13. Look at these words. I've got to get through this quickly. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Did Jesus know that that was going to happen? Before he washed Judas' feet, did he know? He did. Because verse 3 says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was getting ready to return to God. And then the Bible says he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after he had poured water into a basin, he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And after Jesus washes all their feet, Here's what the Bible says in verse 14. He says, now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet. You know what? You guys should wash each other's feet. Verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then he says in verse 17, now that you know these things, if you guys will do this, guess what will happen to you guys? You'll be blessed. Can you imagine Jesus getting down on his knees knowing as he's washing Judas' feet that Judas has already, it's already been set in stone, and yet he washes Judas' feet. My question to you is, do you think he washed those feet with a bad attitude? Do you think he was going, I can't believe I'm washing the feet of the guy that actually betrayed me for 30 pieces of silver? Why, I've done nothing but take care of Judas for three years. Now I'm washing his feet. What in the world am I thinking washing a guy's feet like this? And he sold me out for 30 pieces of silver. Couldn't he, he got like 100 pieces of silver? I mean, what, what am I, chopped liver? Did Jesus have a bad attitude when he was washing Judas's feet? No, he washed the, he washed the feet of the person who's going to deny him. Peter, and he washed the feet of a man named Judas who was going to sell him out, and then he stood up and he said, you guys should do what I do, and if you'll do stuff like that, you'll be blessed. What does that have to do with you and I? You mean to tell me I've got to be nice to people who mistreat me? You mean to tell me I should serve people who treat me with prejudice? Not only do you need to be nice to those people, you need to do it with a good attitude. Some of us need an attitude check. (laughs) Which leads me to my third point, write this down, is be Christ-like. Whatever you do, be Christ-like. Which means to be like Christ. I want you to look at verse 5. This is probably the central verse, text, passage to the whole Bible. One of them. He says in verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of who? Christ Jesus. I want you to turn to whoever you're next to and say it. don't give them an attitude, but I want you to say it. I want you to say it to whoever you're sitting next to. Just say your attitude, your attitude needs to be like Jesus. Go ahead and say that. And then then say it back to them. Well, your attitude should be like Jesus Christ. my first church uh i lived in a single wide trailer i lived in that trailer for two and a half years i got out of that church and i was got out of school i was there for two and a half years preaching uh i moved to california and i lived in silmar when i first moved here i stepped up from that trailer And so for one year, my wife and I and my daughter rented a room over in Silmar, and uh, I was moving up the ladder. And uh, I was preaching here, and there was a guy in the church named Chris Langhans. He's still around. You can ask him. This is a true story. He came to me one day out of the blue. I didn't ask. He said, hey, uh, would you be interested in doing uh, what's called an equity share? And to be honest, I I didn't know what an equity share was. I said, what is that? He goes, well, I'm going to put the money down on a house. You make all the payments. And when we're through, we'll sell it and we'll split the profits. And uh, he was a truck driver. He's not a banker. He's just a truck driver who came up me out of the blue. So I moved out of Silmar, moved into a house here in Porter Ranch. He 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 put all the money. I didn't put any money down. I made the payments, and we finally sold it, and we split the profits. But I was living in a house. I was moving up the ladder. Now, I took those profits. I bought my own house. One day, I'm going to live at the beach. Not in California, but uh, somewhere else. You know, you go out for the basketball team, and you make, uh, you make the freshman team next year you make the frosh soft team then you make varsity except you're riding the bench you don't get to play <laughs> your senior year you're actually starting on varsity and if you're lucky you get to be all city or all state maybe even go to the mba amen and you see that's what the ladder represents for all of us we somehow think that the higher up the ladder you go the more status you've got and the more important you are Don't we love the story of the guy that was born in in, in poverty and he becomes a self-made millionaire? Well, who is our example in life as Christians? Our example is Jesus Christ. Jesus, if you look at the ladder, he went from the top to the bottom. He went from omnipotency to obscurity. He went from stardom to slavery. He went from riches to rags. Jesus went from a throne in heaven to a manger in Bethlehem. He went from the highest level to the lowest level. I want you to see that in the Bible. Look at verse 5 again. Your attitude should be the same of what? Your attitude should be whose attitude? And then what's the first word of the next verse? Who? Who? Everybody say who. Who? They're going to describe Jesus to you. He was in very nature. He was who? He was God. He was at the top. Jesus was the one with God who spoke and created the heavens and the stars and the moon and the mountains and the earth. God was the one who spoke and created you. He just flung his hand like that and the stars were thrown in place. And the Bible says that Jesus, who was very, he was equal in very nature with God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So verse 7, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in what? In human likeness. And verse 8, being found in appearance as a... Man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, which was the most humiliating way to die. That's what Jesus did. And then verse 9, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave Jesus the name that is above every other name, That at the name of Jesus, that every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So all you people trying to get up top of the ladder, you should be like Jesus. Look at verse 3. Go back up. We've already looked at it, but look at it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in what? What's the word? Before I go down, what's the word? In humility, consider others as better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Look at verse 5. Your attitude should be the same of that of Christ Jesus, who humbled himself. And came not to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life so that every single person in here might be saved. Amen? Amen. So don't forget the illustration of the ladder, okay? My last point as we close. Write this down, and this is important. I I don't have any time to really talk about this, okay? But stop complaining. Instead, you should shine like the stars. I just want to show you if quickly, verse 14. There it is. Here's another verse you all should circle. I should circle it. It says, do everything without what? Do you know that we are professional complainers? I'm going to raise my hand because I'm guilty. How many of you are good at complaining? You're good at it. And Paul writes, do everything, look at these words, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you will shine like the stars of the universe. And what that means is while everyone else is complaining, if you would decide not to, You would stand out in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You know who I think of at that moment is I think of this woman right here. I think of Mother Teresa, who went to the largest slums in the world in Calcutta, India. Did you know that Mother Teresa wasn't even from India? She was born in Macedonia, which is in Greece. And then she went and she worked in in Ireland. Have you ever been to Ireland? It's like the most beautiful spot in the whole world. And there's hardly anybody living there. She left there because she felt God calling her to go to one of the poorest regions on the face of this earth just to serve the least of these. She's not rich, she doesn't have fame like a Hollywood star but she shines out because without complaining she just got in there and started serving people and followed the call of God upon her life. You and I need to learn how to obey even when it's not convenient. And here's this is this is like the true of all truths. Most of us only obey if it's convenient to us. Very rarely do, do any of us ever do anything God asks us to do, unless it's convenient. If it's inconvenient to us, we'll say, God, come on, man, choose someone else. I don't, I don't want to. Do, come on, God, I don't, I don't want to. Listen, we must learn how to obey God. Even when it's inconvenient, and all of that is pride. Saying, "God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do. I don't want to do. I don't want to God, listen. You only got so much time left on this earth. It's limited. Take that window of time. Do whatever God asks you to do. Don't do what the preacher asks. Don't do what some other person... Do what God wants you to do. Just say, Yes, Lord. It's a blessing for us
1: to bring this program to you every day. We exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts. we have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. The secret to overcoming any obstacle you are facing today is revealed through one of the most extraordinary victories ever recorded in the Bible, the Battle of Jericho. Joshua and the Israelites followed God's unusual plan to walk around the heavily fortified walls of Jericho for seven days. The Lord promised that at the end of those seven days, he would cause the walls of that famed city to fall, allowing his people to take possession of the promised land. In his book, Walls Fall Down, Pastor Dudley Rutherford shows us how the seven spiritual principles in this story are available for all of us today you will learn how the foundation behind Joshua's victory is the key to overcoming your own hurdles and unsolvable issues. When you choose to do things God's way, walls crumble, victory replaces defeat, and a blessed future unfolds. Pastor Dudley's book, Walls Fall Down, is available for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. This invaluable resource can be yours right now by calling our toll-free number 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. You can also order this book directly from our website, liftupjesus.com. That address again is liftupjesus.com. Discover how your personal Jericho battle is no match for the power of an awesome God. Call us right now and receive your copy of Walls Fall Down by Pastor Dudley Rutherford today.